You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Before tonight as well, you ever thought about this question? What is it that the Lord wants for your life? What does the Lord want for your life? You know, if someone was to ask Jesus why he came, there'd be a number of different reasons because he said, I came for this purpose and I came for the other purpose. What is the reason, Lord, that you came? Well, his statement would come something like this. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. I've come that you may have it more abundantly. And Jesus would continue and he would say something like this. And again, you could see the the, the verse there, but just kind of paraphrase it a little bit. You see, there's a thief. We're thinking about your life. We're thinking about what Jesus wants for your life. I've come because I want you to have life. I've come because I want you to have abundant life. But you see, there's a thief. And this thief has an objective that you might imagine if he's a thief, well, his objective is probably to steal. So he wants to steal. So he wants to rob you. He wants to rob you of true peace. He wants to snatch away your joy, to steal your future, and to pilfer the purpose for which the Creator placed you on this earth. So he wants to steal. He's also a killer. He wants to annihilate your relationships. He would exterminate your potential and and mercilessly murder your hope. Ultimately, utter utterly destroying you what's worse is that he's so cunning he's so cunning he's so deceptive that the majority of people follow him to their own destruction of their own volition so jesus says i offer you that which i have purposed to be yours my grace and love towards you which leads toward an abundant life I know, uh, Trey, you passed those deals out, but could you wait till after the service to fill those out, please? What I hope to lay upon your hearts tonight is God's intentions toward you. God's purpose toward you tonight. I like what the Bible says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Now, one of the great things to begin to do when you read the Word of God is understand when God's talking to you. And now, in the direct interpretation of uh, Jeremiah, he is indeed talking to the nation of Israel. But we know, based on the Word of God, that that the sentiment of what he's saying applies to you. Applies to you. So God is saying something to you tonight. And what is he saying to you? He's saying to you, I've got thoughts toward you. I've got thoughts toward you. Well, what kind of thoughts are they, Lord? They're thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. In other words, I've got a plan that goes all the way to the end for you. I've got a plan from beginning to end. And in these verses in 1 Thessalonians, I want to highlight and really emphasize this part about His will for your life. He wants you, number one, to abound. Look at verse 12 with me, if you would, please, of chapter 3, where the Bible says, And that, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, drop down to that verse with me. The Bible says that, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, listen to this, so you would abound more and more. So chapter 3, verse 13, that I want you to to be uh, prospering. I want you to, I'm sorry, verse 12, I want you to uh, increase and abound in love. Chapter 4, verse 1, I want you to abound more and more. I mean, I just want you to grow. I just want you to be blessed. I just have all these things that I've got for your life. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. He says this, And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which were in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. That's pretty good, isn't it? The God who made the universe says, I've got some thoughts toward you, and I want you to increase, and I want you to abound, and I want you to abound more and more. Jesus said, I want you to have life, number one. If you don't know Christ as Savior, man, that's the number one thing you've got to get nailed down. Don't just hope so, maybe so, think so. Make sure you know that you've accepted Christ and you have eternal life. But then after that, God wants you to have abundant life. And, and that's His will for your life. And that's what I just want to lay on your heart tonight. He wants you to abound. Number two, He wants you to abide. And we, we did emphasize this over the last couple of weeks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, He said that He wants to establish you concerning the faith. Establish you concerning your faith. 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, we read just a moment ago, to the end that He may establish your hearts. So He wants you to abide. He wants you to abound. And, and to abide means to, you remember what Jesus said? I am the vine, you are the branches in John 15. Without me, you can do nothing. But through him, what did he say? We can do all things, anything. But he wants us to abide. He wants to establish you and establish your hearts. How would you like to be steady through the ups and downs of life? Because I don't care what kind of life you have. If you have a life, it's an up and down life. It's a life with good days. It's a life with bad days. How would you like to be steady through all that? How would you like to be established in your heart? Well, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to abound. He wants you to abide. Number three, this is pretty awesome. He wants to accompany you. He wants to accompany you on this journey. Notice what the Bible says there again. We read verse 1 of chapter 4, but let's read it again because the, the emphasis here. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that word exhort means, or beseech means to ask with urgency. Now, one of the things you'll realize is the context of this chapter that we'll point out before we close tonight is the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming. He says, I'm, I'm asking you with urgency. I'm not just saying, well, you know, I mean, if you choose to, if you think about it, if, uh, if it happens to cross your mind, then do what I'm telling you to do. No, he said, man, I'm, I'm asking you with urgency. I'm beseeching you. He says, I'm beseeching you. To do what? And I'm exhorting you. And once again, that means he's using language and to try to persuade you toward going or persuade us in doing something that God would have us to do that again would do what? Help lead us toward this abundant life that he has for us. Help lead us to this established life 
that he has for us. Then he goes on to say that you received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so that you would abound more and more, so that you might know how to walk. How do you walk? You ever see people walk? People walk funny, don't they? I'm not really talking about that kind of walking. Um, but I did, uh, I, I did see a video of me walking one time. You ever, see, you ever see yourself on video doing something, and you're like, dude, do I really walk like that? And I was walking something like this. And I'm like, is that how I walk? What a goofy guy. Uh, but anyway, but it's not talking about how you walk. You know, I'd rather walk, you know, kind of like George Jefferson, kind of. Uh, man, I, sometimes I say stuff, and I realize there's a whole half of the church that's like, who does he play for? You know, I don't know that guy. Um, but walking, walking, how do you walk? All right, so walking is one of Paul's favorite pictures and really one of the favorite pictures that God uses throughout the Word of God. But Paul, for instance, says this in Ephesians 4.1, that you should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He says in another place, walk not as other Gentiles walk. He says walk in love. He says walk as children of light. That's all in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5. The Christian life begins with what? A step of faith. That's where it all starts. When you say, I, I, I now realize that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sins. I now realize, number one, that he died, if you didn't know that before, that he died and rose again. But then the important part is why he died and rose again. And it was for us because he paid the penalty of, of sin, our sins that separate us from God Almighty. So, so what do we do? We take a step of faith and we believe on Christ. That's the first step. But then honestly, the Christian life after that point is just sub, subsequent steps, one after the other. You know, you, uh, you, you begin to get in the Word, you get into a church, you follow the Lord in baptism, and you're just taking these steps all along the way. And really, all throughout the day, we're just walking. We're just walking. But I, as I said, that the, what, what I called this point was that He wants us to, uh, to abound, wants us to abide, but He wants to accompany us. Because the great thing is, we don't have to walk alone. So the Christian life, beginning with the step of faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, walking suggests progress. Usually if you're stepping, you're heading somewhere. We don't normally walk backwards. Uh, we normally walk forward. We're, we're heading somewhere. So it, 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 walking carries the idea of making progress. And, and so in the Christian life, we should be making progress. One of the things I want to do a, a much better job, and it's something that I'm actively working on right now, I've uh, just been, able to, been, been blessed to be meeting uh, every day this week, well, at, at least once a day with someone sitting down uh, doing a Bible study and going through the Word of God. And, uh, and one of the things that I want to make that a very part is that people, I want people when they come in here to know their next step. And that's something that, that, that we're going to, by the grace of God, do a, a much better job communicating in the, in the coming year. What, what's your next step? Uh, well, of course, your first step is to get saved. But then what's the next step? And then what's the one after that? I mean, and, and guiding people because there is a next step. And so walking talks about progress. God wants you to be progressing in your Christian life. Number two, walking also demands strength. And God has promised to give us strength. He said in Deuteronomy, As thy days, show, so shall thy strength be. 
Abraham, you remember him? Abraham started to walk with God. And again, with him, it started as a step of faith. He came and spoke to him and he said, Hey, Abram, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to turn your back on what you've known your entire life and come in my direction. He started taking a step toward God. And, he, and, and Abraham, you know, you just think about Abraham. Okay, well, Lord, where are we going? Here's what God said. We're going to a place that I'll show you. How do you like that? You want God, you, see, we want God to tell us the end from the beginning, don't we? He knows the end from the beginning, but He doesn't always tell us. He just says, trust me. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. That's a good verse for all of us, 100%, but I really encourage the young people in that verse. Know Proverbs 3, verses 5, 6, and 7. Right in through there. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. He went on further with Abraham and said, Hey, Abraham, I want you to go take a walk. And everywhere the sole of your foot uh, uh, steps, that's going to be the, your land that I'm going to give to your seed, your, your physical seed, your people, uh, the, the nation of Israel. And God has still promised to do just that. So there's a walk in the Christian life. It's kind of like Enoch of old. Enoch is, uh, is an example. Enoch goes all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter number 5. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. After he had begat Methuselah 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and 5 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch began to walk with God after his son Methuselah was born. His son Methuselah, of course, Methuselah, God said, this is the name I want you to give this kid. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to name him? I want you to name him upon his death it will come. That's what I want you to name your son. That's what Methuselah means, roughly translated. Upon his death it will come. What will come? The flood. You want to know what happened the day that Methuselah died? Started raining for the first time. You want to know another interesting thing just to throw in here about the grace of God? This will go a little bit more with Sunday's message. What's one of the, one of the, what, one of the things that people know about Methuselah besides it being a funny name? Oldest man in the Bible. Oldest man recorded in the Bible. So God, in long-suffering, the longest man that ever lived, lived perhaps the longest, longer than anybody else had lived because that's how long God was withholding judgment from the earth. Giving people the opportunity to be saved. And this ties into, this also ties into Thessalonians, but Enoch, and by the way, something interesting about Enoch, Enoch was interested because he walked with God for he was not, for God took him. He was walking with God one day, and remember this as we get further through these verses in Thessalonians and through the book of 1 Thessalonians. He's walking with God. And one day, they're just walking along, him and the Lord, and the Lord just looks down at Enoch and says, Enoch, you know, my house is closer than yours. Why don't you just come home with me today? And so he just went on home with the Lord. Just up and out he went with the Lord. Wouldn't that be something? And he was not, for God took him. And here's the thing. He, an interesting thing, it's interesting that he came, he, he went out before the judgment fell, that's for sure. And what Enoch is, Enoch is a picture of the church that gets raptured out before the judgment comes. And 
Uh, and, and then, then Noah and his family, when the judgment does come, Noah and his family, by the way, picture the nation of Israel, how God will preserve them and protect them through the seven-year tribulation, and they'll come out safely on the other side. Not every Jew, but the nation of Israel will be saved in a day. So we got, we got uh, a man walking with God all back in Genesis, but he's mentioned again in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 5, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So Enoch walked with God, and this walk he had with God pleased God because he had faith. Faith is not just a matter of what you believe because if what you believe doesn't match up with how you behave, it's not faith. Faith is something that translates into your steps, into your walks. And, and, into your walks? Into your walk, all right? It will show itself in your walk. And what we really believe, by the way, comes out we, as I mentioned this the other day, but I mentioned it again here quickly. Uh, I'm doing a couple different devotions, but I'm doing one with Tony Dungy, and, uh, the, the, the famous season announcer now, but he uh, used to be a player and then uh, more famously as a coach. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Indianapolis Colts, but gr great coach, great man of God. But he was using the example of faith, and he said that he, he used the example of trying to teach his players what, what, what our philosophy is, what it is that we believe. And he was talking about, I think it was the first year he was with the Colts. And he says that pe people, it seemed like they bought in. He said, but at, as the season started going on, and when the, it started getting more challenging, they started breaking down and not doing the, the discipline things that they said they believed, and they started kind of defaulting back to some of their old habits and ways. And he said the reason why is because they didn't really get it in here. They didn't really uh, believe what they said they believed. But what the, once they got to wh what, where they truly believed it, the adversity brought out the fact that they did believe it later on. And of course, won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. Jude speaks of Enoch. Jude says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them for all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I, I hear that, and I just hear Jude being just... He, I, I just imagine him being a southern preacher. I don't know why. I guess I'm a southern preacher. And I can just imagine uh, this southern preacher by the name of Jude getting up there and saying, God's going to come and he's going to uh, judge all your ungodly deeds which you've ungodly committed and all your hard speeches which you ungodly sinners. He just is putting it down. But that's what he was saying, whether he was southern or not. That's what Jude, or that's what Enoch was preaching. We find out from Jude. So what's that tell us? It, coming back to 1 Thessalonians, pick back up with me in verse number 2. All right, so remember, what's God want for you? He wants you to abound more and more. He wants you to abound. He wants you to experience His blessings. He wants you to abide and be established through difficulties. He wants to accompany you. He wants to walk with you and empower you. 
But look in verse 2. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we have testified and have also forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. Here's the thing about this walk. According to what he's saying, and Jude is the perfect example of it, this is a holy walk. Because if you're walking with God, you know, it's, 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 an, it's an asinine thing, but I'm telling you, it's, one of the, it's a very popular thing. And the Bible said it would be so. The Bible actually warned about the days that we'd be living in, and the Bible warned that it would be pop, popular among Christian, quote-unquote, teachers... It would be popular teaching within churches to say, you know what, God's grace is so wonderful and magnificent and, and, and all of that, so you just need to go right back into the bondage of your sin and, and just have at it and enjoy. It's ridiculousness. You know, we're going to look at it a little bit on Sunday, Lord willing. It's like, the, it's like the Israelites. God brought them out of bondage of sin, out of Egypt, into Canaan's land. But then they all of a sudden started thinking, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad back in Canaan or in Egypt. And they started wanting to go back there. And they forgot that they were slaves there. But no, this walk is a holy walk. Again, we read verse 13 earlier. I'll, I'll read portion of it again of chapter 3. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our Father, or even our Father. Now, you say, wait a second, preacher. You just got done saying God wanted me to live an abundant life, a full life. You said God wants me to live the life. Because he does. And then you just say, well, how can you in one breath say that God wants me to live the life, man? Just the abundant, overflowing, just life. And then now you're going to talk about holiness? How do those two go together? Really? I mean, what are you thinking? And, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the thing that you've got to understand for the people that Paul was writing to is that the moral climate in the Roman Empire was not healthy. Immorality was a way of life. I think we can pause for a moment and identify with that, can't we? Immorality was a way of life. Perversion was a way of life. That's just the way they lived in the Roman culture. So the Christian message of holy living was new to that culture. And it was not easy for these young believers to fight the temptations around them. When we see these verses, uh, you know, beginning in verse number 3, it's interesting. He says a couple things there. Number one, he said in verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now, fornication is clearly and obviously, it's, it's sex outside of marriage, but it's beyond that. It can be any form of perverse uh, intercourse. Abstain from fornication. Um, and, and by the way, there again, for some people, it's like, wait a second. 
I thought I was supposed to be living the life here. Because if there's one thing the world around us sells as the life, it's, yeah, it's sleeping around with whoever the heck you want to. And, and it's presented, and it looks really good. Um, I want to give a, a shout-out to, to my daughter. Uh, th- there was a discussion come up in, in class the other day, I guess, when they weren't learning whatever. But the, but, but the question come up amongst, among a group of girls, uh, okay, how many of you are planning on, and I can't remember the exact terminology, but how many of you are planning on waiting until marriage? And there was one girl that said, out of this group, that said, I am. And it was Natalie. Well, then one of the other girls says, well, I'm sure not. So what's the idea? The implication is, are you, are you kidding me? That's not going to be fun. You're going to wait till marriage? What fun is that? I'm going to go out here, and, 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 and I'm not saying this is her heart in it, uh, but just for the people that would say it in our culture, I'm going to go out here and sleep with, with as many people as I can. Sleep around as much as I can. And they think, I'm going to go have fun. But I'm telling you, social science does not support that. Movies support that. Music supports it, but social science does not support that. The emptiness and the hurt and the pain and the vulnerability and the insecurity that comes along with fornication is not worth it. But I want to say this, and and, and I always try to encourage people on this too. Uh, Obviously, the goal is, is for purity. The goal is, like Jesus said there, it's said through the word there, you know, avoid fornication, abstain from fornication. Well, what happens if I've already committed fornication? Well, abstain from it going forth. You know, I mean, stay pure going forth. That's just, that's that's what you can do because you can't do anything about the past. God forgives the past, amen? Go on with the future. Don't live in the past. Don't let anybody beat you up over the past. Go on, in, in, go on ahead. Go and advance. Now, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the thing, always remember this, there's pleasure in sin for a season. I would not dare get up here and tell you that, that there's no pleasure in sin because that would be a lie. But it's only for a season. And the fact of the matter is, there's a time when that sin is over, and the Bible says, and with sin hath conceived, it bringeth forth death. So, fornication. But here's another interesting word. We get a word in our culture that we use pretty regularly. Listen to the Greek word for fornication. See if it sounds familiar to you. Pornia. Pornia. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like pornography. It's wise to abstain from pornography. This is an interesting thing. I'll just give you a couple of these things. One study found that porn sites on the internet... Well, let me just stop and ask you this. How much, how much traffic do you think Netflix gets online? How about Amazon? Amazon Prime? Um, how about, uh, let's see, Twitter. Okay, here's this, though. There's one study that found that porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined each month. Each month. All right? So, think about that. 
Pornography now accounts for a third of all internet traffic from the study that I read. More than 91% of men and 60% of women have reported consuming pornography in the past month. This is a taboo thing that people like to act like it doesn't exist. You got all these sexual assaults? You got all these perverse things going on? People never want to talk about what's at the heart of it. So much of it started because I'm telling you, when you consume, for a man to consume pornography regularly, it doesn't take long to where he, the only way he can see a woman is just as an object from a video. He doesn't, he can't see her, he struggles to see her as a person, a normal person anymore. And so what happens, and especially what happens if he gets intoxicated, whether through alcohol or drugs or something else, then all of a sudden some of the inhibitions are, uh, you know, are, are taken away. You get sexual assault and you get raped. But I'm telling you, we don't realize, it doesn't get mentioned enough that at the heart of all this, much of it starts with the consumption of pornography. 79% of men and 76% of women ages 18 through 30 view pornography at least once a month. 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography. By the way, I mentioned this before, I think the average age of seeing pornography for the first time, the average age is now about eight years old. Because they're targeting your youth, and so if, if they've got internet access and a phone, then it's just real easy for them to be able to see that. How about this one? 57% of pastors admit that they struggle with pornography. So the Bible says what? Abstain from fornication. Now that obviously means the act of fornication, but there's got to be something said about pornography there as well. So, it's a holy walk. It's a holy walk. Now what's it come out to? Number one, in verse one of chapter four, he talks about pleasing God. That, you, that as you've received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Remember what we said about Enoch? Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. Why? Because he walked by faith. Enoch was representative of the days that we live in. He was representative of you and I, and he walked with God until the Lord took him home. And may God help every one of us tonight. Number one, if you're not saved, make sure you get saved before it's too late. But if you're saved, determine by the grace of God that you're going to walk with the Lord. And I'm telling you, if I'm walking with the Lord, I'm not going to walk in the steps of fornication. And I'm not going to walk in the steps of, of, of adultery. And I'm not going to walk in the steps of uh, dishonesty and so forth. To please God. You know everybody in here lives to please somebody? Now it might be you that you live to please. It may be somebody else you live to please. But I'm telling you, there's a God that created you, made you, and He wants you to increase more and more and to abound. And to have the abundant life. So he says, hey, follow me. Walk with me. I've got a good life for you. Well, that don't look very good, Lord. What I'm seeing on TV, what I'm, see what I'm hearing in songs, that sounds a lot better than this holy business. Walking with God, being set apart by God. But I'm telling you, it's a trap and a lie. Because remember what Jesus said? He said, I've come to give you life in that more abundantly. He said, but the thing you've got to know is there's a thief. He's a cunning thief, and he wants to steal from you. 
He wants to kill and He wants to destroy. All you have to do is look at the people that go down that road with Him and you'll see, a, you'll see just carnage that's left behind. So it's a holy walk. Walking to please the Lord. And then lastly, it's a heavenly walk. It's a heavenly walk. It's interesting here, again in verse 13 of chapter 3, the Bible says, To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. He goes on to say, at the end of chapter 2 also, chapter 2, verse number 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming. Chapter 2 ends talking about the coming of the Lord. Chapter 3 ends with Him talking about the coming of the Lord. Chapter 4 famously concludes with Him talking about the coming of the Lord. You know why? Because the Lord is coming again. And he's saying, in light of the Lord's coming, keep on walking. Keep on walking with Him. Keep on walking in His steps. Keep on living to please Him. See, the Bible also says in regards to that, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So the conclusion of this whole matter is just trying to get in your mind there's this battle, man. There's this battle because our mind tells us that walking with God, that's not going to lead to joy. And by the way, I read something today I thought was an interesting statement that bitter and joyless Christians are a better argument than any atheist or agnostic can put out there. Never thought about that? Gandhi famously said, I would have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. So, may God help us to walk with Him, amen? Displaying, showing. But I'm telling you, the matter that I'm talking to you about is this, though. Why is He telling, why is He having to encourage these believers to abstain from fornication? Maybe because they were tempted to get involved in fornication. Why was He having to encourage them to be honest and, and so forth? Because they were uh, you know, tempted to defraud. And it's just right down the line. So because the devil knows how to make that path look really, really good. But here's what you've got to determine right now. To us in our natural flesh, in our natural point of view, the way toward the, the broad road that leads to destruction looks a lot more appealing than this narrow winding road that, that God has, wants us to go on. But what you've got to do is you've got to tell yourself, okay, or ask yourself this question. Does God have my best interest in mind? Kind of what we preached about Sunday. Do you at your core believe in His goodness? Do, or do you believe Satan that says, yeah, all this purity stuff, all this holiness stuff, all this clean living business, man, they don't want you to have any fun. They don't want you to have any fun at all. But what, they, what, what, what you don't know or what you should know and know tonight, because I'm telling you right now, God has a plan for you. He wants you to abound. And I'm telling you, people that walk with Him, like Enoch walked with Him, find joy, find peace, find contentment, find fulfillment, find wholeness. All of that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So what he's trying to do here, again, he's addressing these Christians, and it's something that we can learn ourselves. It's not just leading someone to Christ, getting them to take that first step. May God help us to lead them on in the Christian life and help them to get established. If they aren't established, they will fall when the winds of persecution start to blow. If a Christian cannot stand, he will never learn to walk. What shall we do? We can be an encouragement and stand at his side as he matures, as a young Christian matures, sharing the word of God, praying, just like what Paul did. That's Because that's what all these verses are doing. Because we're getting help from the word of God. God help us to help somebody else in the word of God and in this walk. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much. Let's all stand, please. And if Sonia would just come play softly, I do want to give the opportunity for folks to pray. Has the Lord spoken to you about anything at all tonight? Somebody says, my gosh, preacher, I don't want to come pray. They're going to think I'm watching pornography or something. Don't matter. And I tell you, one thing that we need to know is, man, if... uh,